Welcome to PostBurnout.com interviews. My name is Aaron Kavanagh and I'm the website's founder and editor-in-chief. PostBurnout.com is a culture website dedicated to venerating burnt-out artists the world over. Our interviews are mainly recorded to be transcribed, but every now and again we release the audio in a series we call PostBurnout.com interviews. If you enjoy what we do, be sure to subscribe. Okay, so today on PostBurnout.com interviews, we're going to be trying something new. We're going to have a double feature of interviews. Doing double features was something I was actually considered doing for a while or just kind of compiling uh, interviews together for a single podcast episode because I was getting a little afraid that a lot of these podcast episodes were getting released so close together that, you know, it might be a bit much on people's feed coming up at one time. So I decided maybe to streamline some of them if I could. In this case, we have two singles coming out today on October the 20th by two different artists. So I decided to comprise these two interviews together and make it one podcast podcast. So in the first part we speak with the Mayo alt-pop singer-songwriter Rachel Walsh, better known anonymously as Rachel. Rachel discusses her latest single No Returns Policy, her upcoming EP Would You Be Happier, balancing being a musician with being a school teacher, working with producer Dylan Connolly, topping the Irish iTunes charts, how learning classical music trained her for pop and her residencies in Boston and Chicago. In the second part, we talk with Artie Jackson and Karis Leuven of the Bat-based alt-folk duo Hum. They discuss their latest single, Dance Alone, Who I Am When I'm In Love, the formation of their project, how their university helped them create a network to get their music made and released, and being selected to record at Sir Paul McCartney's childhood home as part of the Fort Lynn sessions. Also, there are two things about the Rachel section that I want to talk about. The first is that I accidentally referred to her as a secondary school teacher, even though she's a primary school teacher. And the second part is, at about the 10 minute mark in the interview, um, her audio cuts out for a second, just just due to uh, Zoom buffering, I believe. Hey, Rachel, how's it going? Hi, how are you? I'm grand, yeah. Nice to meet you. Sorry, that that took me a couple of minutes to get my Zoom downloaded. I haven't had a Zoom call in so long. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Um, Sorry about that. Not so good. Yeah, um, I just wanted to start talking uh, about your career, I guess. Um, yeah, my understanding is that um, the kind of current uh, project you've been doing began in uh, 2019, if I'm correct. Um, you, I believe you started um, songwriting by uh, playing piano. I was wondering, was um, piano always kind of your first uh, instrument or did you uh, experiment maybe with guitar first or, or uh, how, how did it kind of start for you, I guess? Sure. I suppose I started learning the piano when I was about five years of age and I started doing all of the grades you know from the Royal Irish Academy of Music and um, from elementary all the way up to grade eight and I finished my grades in piano when I was um probably 13 and then I went on to like teach the piano when I was 16 in transition year and the piano was my main instrument and I loved that and although I was studying classical the whole time my Mind was always on pop music and I practiced a lot of pop music outside of the classical, which is really where my heart was. Um, then I also learned the guitar at the age of about eight um, with a girl called Lisa Canny, who is actually a really famous Irish musician now. And, you know, she really shaped me um, as I was growing up. I learned guitar and the banjo, actually Irish trad off her. So those were my kind of three instruments at the time. And of course, music um, and singing um uh, was the main the main passion of mine too 
What do you think actually the, the kind of classical background kind of uh, helped in, in your transition to pop music then? Because like obviously it gives you the foundation mm-hmm. of actually how to play the instrument. But um, I find like a lot of times when people learn an instrument um, in a kind of formal setting, when it kind of comes to doing, I guess, more informal kind of music, uh, sometimes it can it, it can kind of take a bit to, to relearn, you know, the kind of formalities, I guess, of, of, of um, how you were trained, I guess. Sure, definitely. I think without having the basics from classical music, I I really wouldn't have learned how to write music as well, because if I didn't know how to read music, if I didn't know what chords were, um, I definitely wouldn't have the skills um, to write music. So that was really helpful to me, definitely. Yeah. Um, And then kind of what what inspired you then to to sort of... um, take on music as kind of like a as, as kind of like a pop career because I know for example like um I believe your background if I'm correct is in kind of like uh, academia and teaching um so yeah I was wondering kind of what um kind of what made you want to also do this as like something as well like something on the side I guess yeah I, I think I always just viewed it as a hobby growing up so I started writing music when I was about 12 and me and my best friend who lived down the road would just meet up on the weekends and we used to enter lots of different talent shows. And then, of course, we started um, to upload our original music onto YouTube and things like that. Now, um, one of our songs um, in particular, or one of our videos in particular, um, had over 100,000 views. And we loved the idea of like um, just putting stuff out there and seeing people's reaction. So, you know, I got a little taste of that and and what it was like to to. I suppose share your music with people and and see the reactions that it would get from people and um of course writing music through secondary school and college then became more of a therapy to me so like I was doing it on the side to process my own emotions and um then when I actually performed the songs and people related to them I, I really liked that too so um I didn't start really performing on my own my own original music until I got to college and um of course I was studying to be a teacher during college so having the songwriting on the side it, it definitely was on the side um, because I, I had to focus on on my college and um, it was lovely to be able to meet so many people in my college that also enjoyed music and I could you know um, songwrite with lots of other musicians as well and it just became a really nice part of my journey through my early 20s so yeah. And then yeah um, kind of then, like, as you were mentioning, you kind of became a secondary school teacher. I was wondering then, like, when your actual music career starts to take off and it, and it kind of becomes more than a hobby and becomes something that's like, um, I guess, something that's actually kind of getting you recognition and something that, you know, you're availing of gigs and, and um, the ability to actually um, uh, get music out there and get music recorded and produced. Um, I was wondering how you kind of balance those two. Yeah, um, that's a good question. I mean, I when I was in college, I had one performance with um, a local musician called Con Murphy and he asked if I would support him in Whelan's. And uh, that was a huge deal for me because I hadn't performed my own original music on my own yet. So um, I, I did that and that kind of led to me coming in contact with... Um, with a producer named Dave Skelton and he uh, he heard the song that I performed at Whelan's that kind of most people related to and um, he just said you know go for it and, and see what happens and um, I think I needed a push from someone to 
to release the music because I would have performed it for for everybody but it's just to release it is definitely different so through college then I, I started going and recording my music and releasing my music and doing music videos and um again it was always on the side but you know it is it is a huge passion of mine and um then I eventually went on to perform Whelan's on my own, you know, have my own headline show, which sold out um, in 2021. And now I'm working towards my next headline show, which is going to launch my first EP. And uh, that's going to be happening on December 16th in the Soundhouse in Dublin. So I, I'm really excited to be able to put my own music to, to a show and to have people come and hear what I've been working on for the past you know, two, three years, really. Yeah, actually, one thing I wanted to talk about was your um your collaboration with the producer uh, Dylan Connolly. Um, so I know he's been kind of your long term sure. uh, producer, and um, mm-hmm. you know, I I I guess like because uh, um for this new single we're going to get into, but like you know, for example, you were talking about how um you know you kind of introduced him to, to Tate McGraw, and that was kind of like um mm-hmm. you know how how this song kind of uh, came about, and it, it feels like a very kind of give and take um. Uh, partnership where it's like you know you you write the music um kind of with the you know you write the lyrics and you write the, the kind of music and then through his production flair mm-hmm. he kind of elevates that um yeah I was wondering yes. like um how do you think that kind of relationship works and uh you know what do you think your music would be kind of without that kind of steady um I don't know producer that you can kind of work with uh consistently yeah. throughout your career I think it's so, so important to find somebody who just gets your music and you just can't go to any like random producer and and expect to get the results that you want. You need to find the person who's going to like be excited about your music and know how to enhance it. So with him and with Dylan Conley, like he has a huge background in music production and um, music technology. So you know, and he's a musician himself, which is really important too. So like he can hear things to add to my music that I might not always hear. Um, he's a multi-instrumentalist. So if I want to have drums on a track or if I want to have guitar on a track, like he's able to program them, play them, you know, um, it's amazing. But having him constantly as a person that I can go to about my songwriting, I mean, it's as simple as me writing a song not knowing, you know, what I think of it and sending it over to him straight away and getting feedback on it. And then going to the studio when I'm home on a weekend to, you know, have a few hours to see what it could be. And I like Dylan, when I bring an idea to him, it's something usually quite small, quite basic with a piano and my own vocals and um, lyrics would be lyrics and melody would be a huge, you know, um, they're my kind of main things that I focus on but when I bring it to Dylan he can turn it into something so much bigger and I think that's what happened with my most recent track that's coming up no returns policy um it's it just went from something really small to something really massive with the production so I'm excited for people to hear it talking about going from something really small to re- uh, something really massive I mean like your career because just mm-hmm. like seemingly hit the ground running I mean like um as, as something that you kind of started as as a project like you said to kind of um express emotion and to kind of um mm-hmm. actually have a, another question I want to ask you just while I think of it um but um sure. you're you know it kind of just like sort of like snowballed and like you became like a chart-topping artist um like did, did that like take you by surprise or was that just something like well I guess that's what we're in for (laughs) oh yeah no it definitely took me by surprise I mean I never expected anybody to listen to me at all when I released my first song and um 
yeah to have that reaction to have you know like four number one singles now it was something I never ever expected and not anything that I ever intentionally set out to do so I kind of when the first one went well it definitely gave me an incentive and encouragement to go ahead and to keep doing it but it definitely took me by surprise too that people cared enough to listen <laughs> And the question I wanted to ask you that I just thought of actually was, um, I remember when I was in uh, college, um, uh, a lot I, I started my kind of um, creative writing kind of uh, increased because um, I sort of was doing a lot of formal writing for essays and for, you know, um, for uh, dissertations and stuff. So I, I got kind of sick of sort of formality of having to reference everything, every thought, and I just kind of, mm-hmm. kind of annoyed with that. So sure. as, as kind of um, an outlet, I sort of, did a lot of creative writing on the side I was wondering do you feel that um being kind of ensconced in uh, academia for a while because you were saying that this kind of started around college did that kind of um give you a sort of creative flair as well or is it just coincidental timing one of my friends who is you know he's doing a master's now at the moment and we talked about how your creativity can be you know just shot from doing things like that and I said like if you know if your schedule is so busy and you know my schedule is so busy you need to actually put time aside to be creative and you need to actually put it into your calendar and you do need to schedule it because um you know we can always say that we're too busy or we've too much on like academics wise or if it's career wise but you know like having that time to be creative is so important too and that's what that's exactly what my conversation was um with my friend when we talked about this but um for me with college I and I think with my career as well being teaching like I do have time in the evenings I do have time on the weekends and that's how I'm able to balance it you know my my evening or my whole weekend will be on Friday I'm going to the studio to record on Saturday I have a band rehearsal and then it's back to normality again come Monday you know so um, I love being able to do both. Actually, as a, as an occupation, I mean, uh, being a teacher, um, I guess, kind of affords mm-hmm. you the summer in a lot of ways to do stuff too. Is that was that yeah uh, again something that's is is just fortuitous, or was that something that was like in consideration when you were uh, becoming a teacher to sort of go, okay, well, if I was to do this, like if I was to do the music, mm-hmm. I would also have this spare time mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, um, I think that. Well, obviously I do I really love working with children and I love being able to teach kids music and you know I teach guitar lessons after school and to be able to provide kids with the same opportunities that I would have had growing up is really important to me but um having the summers has led my last two summers as a teacher being able to um to travel and to gig so last year um I gigged in Cape Cod and Boston and I played in a couple of different um venues there weekly and that's how I spent my summer and I just adored I adored it and that led me to then go to Chicago this summer um just gone and I spent the summer gigging there in Irish pubs and um just living the American dream really yeah. <laughs> so it's been amazing to do that and I my brother actually just recently moved to Chicago so I'm going back on my midterm break from school to to go back and gig there for the weekend um yeah without that career I wouldn't be able to do these things I suppose so that's kind of cool because like it's sort of shown like the the kind of Irish American community I guess in the states that like um 
Sure. And look, look at how kind of like Irish music sort of like differs because I think like there's this perception perhaps and not just in the States, but I think like internationally of like Irish music being like one particular thing. And I think it's kind of cool to have sort of organic domestic acts sort of going like, no, like that exists still, but like, you know, there is a, a variety on that team. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think, you know, we get a lot of requests as musicians and Irish musicians in America to play, you know, play Grace and Raglan Road and all those, you know, and play trad music. And they're absolutely fascinated by it and by the Shanno style singing. Yeah. But um, I, I obviously like pop music is is a huge interest of mine so I really try and make sure that I get the pop music and you know whether it be Irish pop as well you know get that kind of music into the scene over there too um just to show that we're a bit more diverse than yeah just the old traditional style but they they seem to like both yeah that's good. Um, let's talk about your new single, mm-hmm. then. So now returns policy, and the the mm-hmm. single uh, art is pretty cool. It's you in a room of receipts, just like burning a receipt. Um, the <laughs> so, the song is yeah. uh, I think like whatever Greg is saying is kind of like a, a breakup <laughs> song, or it's more like not necessarily a breakup song, but kind of like um, it's it's sort of I think a song about kind of evaluating one's own worth and and kind of um, um, you know, kind of sort of saying, look, I'm not going to be used. I'm not like you know like a clothing item that you can just kind of return to the shop or you know if you feel kind of um I don't know if you feel like yeah you know oh suddenly I, I have an interest in you again I can just kind of come back like you know sort of saying it's rejecting that um maybe you could talk a bit about it yeah well do you know what I don't think I could have explained it any better but that's the way that you just explained <laughs> it there and um, that's exactly that's exactly what it's about I mean um I think you know, I, I love metaphors in my writing and I've kind of done that with a lot of my other tracks, like gravity would have been based on like, um, like, you know, airplanes and um, waiting at, at an airport and, and kind of symbolism like that. But in this song, No Returns Policy, it's definitely like, I mean, you could consider it as if I wrote it in a shop because I talk about receipts and, you know, take your bags, it's time you leave. It is very much about realizing who I am as a person and what I deserve and um there's a lot of reflection based on past relationships too and and maybe not re-entering past relationships because of those reasons that I've stated in the song um again like it's a form of therapy for me to move on and and to to grow as a person um but also to have a product come out of it um that's kind of why we did the cover art as well based on you know no returns policy because it it just gives a symbol a visual symbol for the song a little bit better because originally when you hear the title you're probably thinking what is this what is this about (laughs) but um, I think the cover art does does it justice and that's why Focus Productions who did that so it was great. Uh, yeah, and this is the second song of your uh, upcoming OP, uh, sorry, upcoming EP. Uh, yeah. Would you be happier? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you just mentioned there that the the release date, uh, sorry, the the release gig is on uh, December sixteenth. So, I just had mm-hmm. two questions about the EP. Like, first of all, what's the actual release date of the EP itself? And and the second is, um, uh, how many songs are on it? So the EP is going to be released um, at the end of November so that people will have time, hopefully, to listen to it before our launch gig. Um, and the the gig itself is December 16th in Dublin, the Sound House. And I'm really excited to be joined by musicians um, such as my producer, Dylan Connolly, Evan Barrows on the drums, a really close friend of mine, Duran Kelly, who plays the cello. 
um, and another another really really good musician who plays for bass for Dara OD um, called Richie is going to be joining us too so we've a, a nice group of people uh, together for this this band and we're going to be rehearsing the next couple of weeks you know um, intensely for it so it'll be a launch of hearing all of the, the music on the EP and, and the two singles I suppose we've released as well uh, May songs are on the EP? There's going to be five songs on the EP Okay, perfect. So, uh, yeah. so prior to the, so yeah. it's just going to be the two singles released so far prior to the the actual release of the EP. So exactly, it'll be like three new be... songs. Yeah, let's go. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Three new ones, and I'll have two collaborations on there as well, and um, which I'm very excited about because I really wanted my EP to be um, involving people that have had a, a big role to play in in my music journey so far. So I've I've got two friends, um, Jack Gladney and also Eamon Walsh. Um, as male vocalists on two of those songs and I think they are going to give a really good um, you know perspective onto like um, just like a, a perspective that I couldn't give you know as as a as a person who's writing from two different ideas so it's going to be yeah, really nice to have them on it too. I actually want to ask a question when you and um, Dylan are working together on the production of your music is there like mm-hmm. a conversation about like well, here's some which we have to be actually actually able to translate live versus no, we'll just kind of do whatever suits the song production wise. Like, is there consideration for how it's going to sound live, or or how does that work exactly? There is a lot of consideration for that, and uh, it's very, very, um, very important for our EP that we're able to play that stuff live too. But what we are experimenting with at the moment is. Um, to play against tracks and that's what we've all bought our in-ear monitors we're ready to go with those but yeah we need to have them um, we, we're going to have like the background um vocals and different instruments or different productions that Dylan has added to songs um they're going to be translated into the live performance because of tracks and of course as musicians what we need to focus on is learning how to play with the tracks and making sure we're all in time together so it is going to be a nice mix of live and also backing um, as well. But the backing tracks are going to be from the original music, like from the original EP. So that's that's going to be really nice too. Originally, when I did my first headline gig, um, we played everything live and all the instruments were live. And, and I, I love that because it's a real natural, you know, a real natural feel to it. But it's a little bit more difficult when you have to play to tracks and, and keep in time. It takes a lot of work and a lot of practice. So hopefully it all works out for... December <laughs> and the sound house uh, in comparison to wheels I think is a lot more intimate it's a lot more um uh like involved people are kind of like right front and you know Whelan's is a pretty compact venue too but um I, I don't know the sound house feels like like one kind of room everyone's kind of in unison in a way um I was wondering like sure. what your kind of anticipation is um in terms of the of, of the launch itself and in terms of like maybe crowd interaction what you're um planning on doing in terms of um the production or is it just going to be like no the primary focus is music we're just going to you know, have a strip back and, and make the primary focus be music or how, um, what can kind of people expect, I guess, in terms of the, the show itself? Yeah, of course, you know, the primary focus will be music and, and you know, getting people's reactions to the EP. I mean, it was so lovely at my last headline gig to have people sing along to some of my songs. I Again, I could never have imagined anybody listening and being able to retain any of my lyrics so it was really <laughs> it was really nice to hear that last time and I hope that it'll be the same and uh, for the new songs but um, I do like 
the element of storytelling in my shows too and kind of I think it's important to be able to maybe give a little bit of explanation to um songs and their meaning and um have discussions about different messages that I put through in my songwriting I think that's important as well like it's all part of who I am and um what my music is about so I think yeah that's what you could expect for that show that's perfect. I think I've asked everything I have to ask. Is there anything uh, you'd like to add before we wrap up or uh, maybe talk about like future plans, anything like that? I don't think so. I think we've, I think we've covered it all, but um, yeah, just if, if people wanted to, to come to the show, all the tickets will be on the Soundhouse website and that will be announced next week. So that's, that's perfect. All really. Thanks very much for your time, Rachel. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you. Of course. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for your time as well. It was lovely to be on. Yeah, of course. Thanks very much. And uh, best of luck with the the release and everything you have coming up. Thank you so much. Thanks a million for your time. Bye, bye, bye. So um, the first thing I wanted to ask was, um, quite simply, how did you guys meet and how did the project form? University. Um, We both did the same course at Bath Spa. And we there was something called a jam week was it called jam week it was called jam and chat jam and chat and you all had to play like you had to play like one song in front of everyone which I found really really terrifying and I left mine till the absolute last minute I was yeah. the last person to do it because yeah. I hated it, was it like so much 60 of us in yeah Paris was the very last person yeah. <laughs> um and we we decided to be a duo from literally then so yeah. from the first week of uni I remember seeing Karis play and like as she was performing, I was texting her saying, can we start a band? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> what was the kind of similarities, I guess, uh, you guys kind of found in terms of um, your creative output and, and kind of your similarities, I guess? Um. Well, we had the same kind of, we had a lot of the same kind of loves of different genres. We both like a lot of different music, but those lined up. So I'd say like a very obscure musician that people wouldn't normally know and Artie would know it. And I was like, huh, huh, hold on. And we both like when we'd write songs was quite, quite similar. And we both wanted to make the same sort of sounds, if that makes sense. Mm. So very, some very obscure things. If it was like quite a left field thing, I'd say it to Artie and he'd be like, yeah, okay, let's do it. And the same with me. So like that. Which I didn't really get with anyone else. <laughs> yeah, I think like I'd listen to a lot of like traditional folk music, um, like Harris, and I listened like Richard Thompson, John Martin stuff, but I'd never really tried to play like them mm. until because uh, Harris's songs were very very folky, and I really liked them, and and that that got me into folk guitar music as well. Like I could I could pluck okay, but I was more into kind of like indie stuff uh, in terms of what I was writing, and then I got really into some traditional folk stuff Luke Harris really need mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm like a folk yeah. guitarist now <laughs> <laughs> um and then when it kind of came to I guess the kind of um the purpose of, of the project I mean like obviously you guys are very ideologically driven especially around um uh, environmental issues um yeah I was wondering like was that something that like immediately was uh, when the project was being discussed it was like okay we're going to actually do something with this music we're going to kind of make a statement or was that just something that kind of eventuated uh, based on kind of your personal um, interests or, or kind of uh, what you wanted to shine light on feels like that yeah it feels like the second one it feels like it just happened we both really care about the planet and 
climate change and I mean I always wanted to do that anyway so for me I was like whatever I'm gonna do it's gonna have that message probably yeah somewhere in it but then it kind of happened naturally and I don't think it would have worked so well if I was in a duo with someone who didn't care yeah yeah Yeah. that that's such an important thing for me that like I I there would have been an argument way earlier and then (laughs) then he would have been out so like yeah yeah it's just like I think a combo of both really yeah we we like just writing about a lot of different stuff and we just have and and we just get inspiration from lots of different things because we're writers yeah and obviously the environment is just something that just pops up it's, it's always in the back of our minds really yeah. all the forefront so yeah it just it just comes into the songwriting and I don't know if this was just kind of my reading of your music or whether just like an intentional artistic um, decision but when I was kind of listening to to the music there's this um I think there's this very kind of like sort of fragile nature to the music it feels very tender it feels very um I don't know kind of like uh almost like you know I don't know, like walking on glass or something like that and trying not to break it. Like, um, and it kind of reminds me, uh, this is like, again, this is just me, me being an English teacher and overreading it, but, um, <laughs> you know, just there's, um, it, it kind of reminds me, I guess, like the fragility of um, the atmosphere itself, where it's like, you know, there's a huge difference between, say, for example, temperatures rising by, you know, 1.5 degrees Celsius versus two degrees Celsius. And it seems so minuscule, but it has such yeah. um, implications on people's lives, on, on, on you know, um, so I was wondering, would that be like, um, was that kind of intentional in terms of the kind of the softness, the kind of tenderness of, of your music or am I just, you know, overreading it? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a that's a very good read. I really like that. Um, I like that you could find that in it. Um, I don't think it's fully intentional. Mm. I don't No, It's well, it's not something I thought about when no. doing it. I'm. Yeah, there's no doubt that a lot of the the themes we talk about are kind of fragile themes anyway mm-hmm. I think we just we just found our sound naturally which is just just by chance and interest is just quite a fragile sound I like plucking notes on the guitar Karis is I mean you have you do belt and it's amazing but Karis is such a lovely soft voice as well mm. um, I think we're like very good one of the best things we can do is use dynamics mm-hmm. that's what I focus on because I struggle with like harmonies um and struggle with things like that but I was like well one thing I can do is really use my dynamics so we've kind of like used a combination of both our instrumentation to make that so we do so I do kind of organize that in my brain like this bit will be quiet this bit will be loud and it will have this impact but not necessarily in that same way but I really like that so I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so prior to the project starting then, so how long had, had each of you been uh, musicians individually then? Oh. I wouldn't have counted myself a musician before. I, I played the guitar for a while, but I like I'd never done a gig or played to anyone before university. So, so, yeah. Um, um I had. Oof. So I've always loved music. So probably since like the age of like nine, but not like a proper musician. Just I was doing music. I was doing musical theatre. I was singing. I've been singing forever. And then I went to in secondary school. I then studied music and then I went to college and studied music and then I went to uni. So I'd been doing it for a while. But 
not doing what I actually loved, which is this. Because before it was just like, I'm doing all these things, not sure what I want to do, not very confident in myself at all. And then I got to uni and could finally do, finally found a person who was like, ah, same brain. Um, And then we could finally make music that I really felt like happy with. And so I feel like I fully became a musician when I went to uni. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Artie, then I want to follow up on that actually and just ask, so... Uh, kind of prior to um prior to the project, I mean, what were you um uh what's this kind of like your first time really getting on stage and, and actually performing uh live in front of people and you know how was that kind of um transition, I guess. The project, just to be clear, started in uh, 2018, is that correct? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um so it was before I started uni, I, I really wasn't sure if I was gonna study ancient history at Cardiff or do commercial music at Bath Spa and it was very much a last uh second decision to do it because I messed up my final year of A levels as well which (laughs) so I didn't get into Cardiff anyway but um like at A levels I actually started studying music and I dropped it for archaeology so I've always been a bit back and forwards between it and then I just I just decided to go for music and I went for it um wasn't there someone on a bus? There was someone on a yeah, bus. someone on a bus told me about the course just by chance. Um, and I had that in the back of my head. And then when I didn't get into Cardiff and I took a gap year out, I remembered this course and I looked it up and I thought, that actually sounds really good. And I I kind of convinced myself, maybe one of the reasons I failed my A-levels in the second year was because I wasn't really that interested in history and what I actually wanted to do was music. That probably wasn't true. It was just a way of comforting myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was lazy, but um, <laughs> but um, it was it was honestly terrifying uh, doing the jam and chat. Like I know it sounds, seems like a small thing, but I think most people in the course hadn't really played live to many people before. And what was great was by the end of first year, all I, I would lo- I want to do a jam and chat every single day. Like, because you just want to write your songs and you kind of want to just show them off, show people, get feedback. Mm. Um, I've I really developed, like, so much confidence in performing, which is something I never thought I would do. Um, yeah. And then, so, um, after that, so, like, once the band kind of formed, um, how long was it before you guys started actually, like, um, performing live, like, um, outside of the university? Was it immediate or was it kind of gradual? Well, at, on the course, you have to perform, like, three weeks later together so we performed in the SU Bath <laughs> Spa um, <laughs> and that was interesting um, and then we pretty quickly started gigging outside um, of like uni things so it would be like people from uni would come along but <clears throat> we'd start booking events and things and I remember we did a gig when the pig and fiddle mm. in Bath was um, it was still like a music venue, and that I think that was one of our first gigs. That was we had we headlined it. We as headlined well. it, yeah. So it was like our first headline gig, and everyone came. And there's this really cool picture of like the whole space filled with people mm. and all of our friends and things. It was really really, really nice. So we started gigging like almost straight away. Yeah. Really. Do you remember I lost my voice for that gig? Yeah, I, I couldn't sing at all. Like oh, no. I was just like whispering. I completely lost. Yeah, it. I remember that. <laughs> it's oh, quite frustrating. 
Um, and then did you see kind of um, a growth then um, outside of kind of like um, uh, like fellow students or friends or family? Were, were you noticing kind of um, uh, people coming along who maybe you didn't know or was that kind of, did that take a while? Oh, I think that we, well, when people started reaching out to us, that maybe took like, oh, God, it's so long ago now. It maybe took maybe six, seven months. And I do remember people starting to like reach out and us getting gigs outside of Bath. Like when one of our friends, he's our friend now because he's now lives in Bath. Um, But one of our friends, Martin, he used to work at The Pound, which is a lovely art centre. And he booked us for that. And it was the first time we'd been like proper booked for something. Yeah. And we were, we were both like, <laughs> so excited. And like... um. We get we get a lot of people, um, normally older people, coming up to us and being yeah. like, "Really love your sound, just really nostalgic and stuff," which I love. Yeah. That's that's my goal. Please, can we buy it on CD? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying. Um, yeah, I get asked that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can we buy it on a CD? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it took a little bit, obviously, because it's folk music. So and like Bath wasn't there's a scene for it, but it was very specific what mm. the scene was and we were having to like make a space for ourselves, and that's why we set up our little um like acoustic evenings to make that space and there was lots of people that wanted to do similar things to us like quiet intimate folk music and they didn't have a space so we made one for it and then um during the the pandemic then what what you guys do during that time because i mean obviously you're still kind of building and establishing um your your brand i guess and what did you do during that time well we were still at uni during the pandemic so mm -hmm. we had other things to focus on but a lot of our modules are related to uh home stuff anyway yeah um i remember i was doing my dissertation so a lot was it was a lot of sitting and writing um a lot of just we lived like we didn't even live very far from each other we lived on the same road yeah. but like maybe five houses apart but I don't remember meeting up a lot but I remember the way we like normally write a lot of songs is just like sending things to each other yeah and doing things like that so when we had the spare moment we were doing that mm. but um it was a lot of dissertation it's dissertation heavy yeah. at that point yeah. <laughs> I'll keep you busy <laughs> Mm, yeah and then you know, um, when did you guys actually start recording music then because i know it's like the um the singles were kind of released um you know within the last year or so and um, yes yeah, so i was wondering when did you guys start like actually recording your music it was a couple of years ago now actually wasn't yeah. it it was our friend ollie um who's doing the masters where he did the masters course at the uni um we recorded with him to help with his masters um and we actually had a great help with us. and it, it just went really well <laughs> I think we worked we we worked with Ollie really really well. Mm. He's a really nice guy, um, and he uh, recorded uh, and produced um, "Mankind No More," mm. our first single, and yeah. our second single was done with Alex. It's just off. We just got our friends to record it. We have some very yeah. talented, lovely friends. Yeah, that's the benefit <laughs> yeah. of being on the course that we work. Just like, please, can you help out? <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> yeah, of course. So yeah, the second one was with Alex. Yeah, who's also a folk musician. Yeah. Um. And so we just, we recorded that in my old bedroom at my mm. old house, literally did all of it in about 
I don't know, three hours. Well. <laughs> had a really lovely time and then just gave it to Alex and Alex was like, okay, I'm going to do all this stuff and do all this yeah, instrumentation. Yeah, and thing. Yeah. And so he did that. And that's why that's that song sounds quite different to the first one because it's completely different styles of like mm. production and things like that. Yeah. And then this one we recorded with Josh Clark, um, which is he's a... Um, a producer for Kate Rusby and um he's also her drummer and I he actually worked with us far so we emailed him like several years ago yeah. literally like four years ago being like hey would could we have your advice on this on track and things so we'd already reached out to him for and then we went and recorded with him and it was so good yeah we had such a great time. Really, really nice experience <laughs> literally such a great time and he just knew what it was almost like he was in our brains. Like he just knew what the track needed. and It helped that he played drums and produced music for Kate Rosby and we were fans of Kate Rosby. Yeah, oh like, yeah. It really helped that Massive we had those fans similar well. interests there. Yeah, so that was just nice as well. The fact yeah. that he had that knowledge and was just a normal, nice guy. Yeah. Um. So that's why this one sounds completely different as well. But I love the way that they sound different. I think it's a really good representation of... Yeah, I mean, we're still like... We these are our first few singles, so it's not quite like still finding our feet, but yeah. we're exploring with sounds and productions because, yeah, because we don't we don't produce any of our music, we don't really know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just nice that we're still just kind of like, you know, like feeling out and. Mm. How do you guys feel, uh, feel about like um, when it comes to the production side of things, like um keeping things raw versus like you know adding layers and, and kind of um like you know um kind of messing around production then trying to translate that live after the fact that do you guys have any opinions on that or, or are you just kind of like you know just take it case by case it really depends on the song yeah it? i think but it really does i was gonna say like in general we tend to keep it raw because when we perform 90 percent of the time it's just us two anyway mm. that's I how the songs develop the most powerful version of yeah. us so it like a lot of the time it might start with that and then we add loads of stuff on top but it really does it really does depend because some songs we've been like can you all come in and play random things and <laughs> yeah. yeah so sorry so your new single then is uh, uh dance alone uh who i am when i'm in love um you were talking about like you were mentioning the the um you mentioned the single and, and recording it yeah so i was wondering if maybe you could just talk a little bit about the background to this song yeah, do you want to go? Um, we were just talking about this, trying to remember the timeline. Yeah, <laughs> so I've got. I found the voice recording on my phone, the first ever demo, I suppose, uh, and it was March twenty second, twenty twenty one. I was listening to a lot of Kinks, a lot of Kinks, <laughs> and I'd recorded like the guitar part and the melody, but I was just making up lyrics uh, just for the purpose of the demo. Um, none of the lyrics were used, but I was. I was really listening to. Um, don't know if you know the song Afternoon Tea by The Kinks. Yeah. Um, that was a huge inspiration, I think, for the melody for this song, especially with the, I don't know, the way that, like, Ray Davis just, like, goes up and down with that. You can almost, I don't know if you can imagine him, like, singing the song, like, So I danced alone. Da, 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 da. It was really just ringing in my head. Um, it's something like, no, I actually, I wouldn't have thought that independently, but now that you mentioned it, yeah, I yeah, can yeah, see yeah. that. <laughs> It was just it was just really there and it was just a nice I, I was just obsessed with the song really and then um and then I mean to be honest with you, the chorus line 
the chorus line came like I was having a poo and I <laughs> I had this idea for like I knew the chorus had to be good the melody like the lyrics yeah and then I was on the toilet and it just it just hit me it hit me in my head and I just like wrote it down instantly I knew it was there and then sent it to Karis and then Karis just did everything else and took the chorus line and wrote all the lyrics for everything else and got meaning from it so I hadn't quite completely got the meaning for the chorus yet but I knew there was something good there so I danced alone and started to make sense yeah and I listened to that and I was like ah because I'd just been through a breakup yeah a very a, a nice breakup we're still friends um but it was still a breakup and I was like realizing exactly that that I wasn't in love anymore and like I needed to be alone for a while and like figure stuff out and um then Artie sent me that and I was like aha here we go and then I, and then I wrote the lyrics for the song and they're literally some of the best lyrics I feel I feel like I've ever written and I don't think I could yeah, really, really get good. better than that like I really like them yeah, um it's all about just like living for the day that you've got and like just appreciating the small things which lots of people never do and also I never do um it's a reminder anymore. to yourself it's just a reminder just like look at the look at the nice way the sun falls on the grass or something you know there's really small things that you don't notice until you're like wow it's really pretty it's really yeah. pretty outside life's really nice <laughs> even though it's scary it can be small and nice uh one final thing I'll, i i wanted to talk about was actually um uh, recently, I believe you guys got the opportunity to uh, record at Paul McCartney's childhood home. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah I was wondering if we could yeah. just talk a bit about how that came about. And yeah, something very interesting. <laughs> so uh, uh, a neighbor or a friend of mine uh, sent me, saw, saw it in the newspaper, like an article or a competition to send in your songs for the National Trust, sent it to me. And um, it was like on the very last day before the deadline, I was... At, uh, I was in Cornwall with my family and I was quite drunk and I remembered I yeah, <laughs> sorry my stories are a bit bleak aren't they? <laughs> um, I was appreciate drunk and I suddenly remembered this and I whipped out my laptop and it was like maybe 10 o'clock and I needed to apply before the deadline and you had to like write like 500 words of what the Beatles mean to you and what Paul McCartney means to you and I was, I wasn't making it up. Like it was all true. Yeah, actually, for one thing, we really did bond over the Beatles in our first year. I, I remember because I am such a massive Beatles fan, and I, when like teenagers were obsessed with like One Direction and stuff, I was obsessed with the Beatles. <laughs> um, and everyone was like, "What's going on?" Um, and so in our first year, I remember you sending me like a Beatles song that I hadn't heard before. And I remember it being such a big thing in my brain. And then when you were like, I'm applying to this, I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, carry on. No, <laughs> I just thought that right. was yeah. significant. No, literally. Yeah, I, I just applied. I sent in our songs. Um, I, I really didn't expect anything from it because we have a, applied for quite a few things before, yeah. just as everyone has. And yeah. we assumed it's quite a big competition. We weren't going to hear back. And then uh, we just got an email back. And I remember I called you straight away. I don't know if, if you saw it first yeah. or I saw it first, but we called each other as soon as someone saw it. We, we, we were literally like spent that next half an hour, like checking that it wasn't a scam. Yeah. <laughs> like a scam. A yeah. <laughs> they were going to pay us and uh, they needed bank details and stuff. And <laughs> like, what? That can't be real. They're going to pay us. You're telling me they're going to pay us to go to <laughs> Liverpool so we can sit 
in a national trust property and like write a song yeah but um it just all turned out to be legit and it was literally a crazy experience <laughs> yeah it was crazy it was so good yeah we met so many lovely people literally so many amazing yeah. people and the house was beautiful as well it was just lovely to be in a national trust house mm-hmm. but then they were like okay we're gonna leave you guys too we're gonna let you play music and we were like what yeah. what's happening just like sat on Paul McCartney's bed just like writing a song it was yeah it was quite weird yeah it, it was really so weird, weird. Um, yeah. are, are those recordings going to be uh, released or oh so we we did yeah we wrote a song and it got uploaded onto YouTube okay the National Trust yeah. and we're definitely going to release it at some point we've mm. got other songs yeah. in the forefront of our minds sure. first but yeah. it's it's in our catalogue we play it live a lot and um mm. It's. I actually, I really like the way that that song came out because we were trying to make it like really a hum song and we really, really tried to like include everything that would be in a hum song. So there's both of us singing, there's harmonium in it, there's intricate guitar parts and also big guitar parts, big ending. Like, yeah. there's me bells, there's literally everything in this song. Yeah. Um. There's interesting melodies, like, and we really tried to make it like very hum, <laughs> hum-esque. Yeah. <laughs> um, um so I'm quite proud of that yeah it, it yeah. came out good and we still are like changing some parts of it yeah as time goes on because I feel like I put I, I felt a lot of pressure with this yeah. and I I I think I um I I messed up the it, it didn't feel very natural yeah. because I was really overthinking this just yeah. because of the whole context of everything we were going to play it live and and it was going to be streamed live and stuff he'd and... hear it Paul McCartney apparently his his team were it we're gonna show him it yeah. or something. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> oh. there was a lot of pressure. And I think it wasn't yeah, it it didn't from my part anyway, from my end, the parts didn't come super yeah. naturally because I was like, I wanted things to be complicated yeah. to show off. It was, it I was, guess, yeah. but also I don't want it to be too complicated. That it didn't make sense. And um it was we're, hard. we're slowly naturally like um building it still but I, I really like how how where we where it's at right now so. and we met Mike McCartney and yeah. it was really nice he's lovely and we were sat playing some music and there's a picture there's a picture that he took of like John and Paul like sat around a chair and one of them sat on the chair with the guitar and the other ones like sat on the floor or something and we were doing that and he looked at us and he was like it's like going back in time it's like seeing <laughs> Yeah, he, he said he's such like, a compliment. Our John, kid, and John, and I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was a thing. That was a thing that I'll never erase from my memory. Yeah, is that like? Know. Sorry, it was, is that like the ultimate kind of vindication in the way? Because like you kind of, you know, you, you start this project, you start this band. It's like you know, you guys believe it's good, and then you see the the positive reception to it, which is kind of like you know reinforcing that idea, and then it kind of eventuates into this where you you know you have the opportunity to you know uh, uh be heard by a beetle <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it was insane yeah ah. it, it is it is obviously like a nice indication but over the years there's obviously like it is it is a battle yeah. to have that self-confidence because yeah. there are lots of things that we didn't win there are loads of we've got loads of friends who are you know uh doing stuff that's more successful than us and and it's kind of like, like that you have to kind of pick and choose. Like if you if you don't get a reply from someone you really want a reply from, then it's like, okay, that's fine because I had this and we'll have this. And mm-hmm. but then then I feel like the moment I'm like, oh, you know, 
how long how much longer can I do this is the music industry is hard you know yep. I was having when I recently went home I was having a really like bad time and I was like I don't know if I can do this I'm doing so much stuff and then I got three emails in one day which was like okay I've got this gig for you and this gig for you and this gig for you all from different people that I'd like I'd spoken to and that we'd spoken to at gigs and been like oh I'm interested in doing this and like past things that didn't go through in one day and I was like okay a sign yeah Yeah, it really is the nicest thing is like when we play a gig and then people come up to us afterwards and obviously when they compliment us that's really really nice and and they talk about the harmonium or the guitar parts and the melodies and influences but also if we get a gig off the end of that which does, it has happened a few times, yeah. like we played in Bristol um, and someone came up to us afterwards and and then we ended up playing the Worthy Earth Festival in Basingstoke because his friend was running it and he said we'd be perfect for it. And also uh, we did this really weird gig in HMV one time. Yeah. Uh, no one heard us. No one really wanted to listen to us. They just wanted a shop. Yeah. And we were just playing music in the corner. And then at the end of it, um, well, she's now a really close friend of ours called Lottie. She came up to us and said... I'm writing a musical and performing it and we need music. Would you like to write and perform the music alongside it? And it was a really great experience. We so loved it. Um, <laughs> and it. And it opened more doors for us because yeah. we were both thinking like, this is definitely something we can do. I would love to write yeah. uh, and play alongside musicals now. Um, and we're going to do it again next year. Um, they're doing another production next year, Whimsico. Um, and so we're writing the music for it again. Yeah. Which is so fun, yeah. and that's all from a HMV gig. So. Yeah, <laughs> but, but we again, we've done loads of gigs where no one's talked to us. So it's like, you it, know, yeah, it is just bad. It's just circumstantial. Uh, well, it feels circumstantial, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> some people love us, some people don't like folk music. It just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, no, obviously you've cultivated like you know a, a mass fan base and like obviously it's still like um continuing growth as you were kind of mentioning it's like you know um yeah i mean it's like it's hard to kind of measure your trajectory because i think you're always making comparisons to other people and it's like well they got this opportunity and we didn't but you know i don't know i, I think like in a lot of ways you have to kind of individualize and sort of go eh, yeah it's got everyone's gonna have their own trajectory and we'll have breaks and we'll have you know stumbles but whatever you just kind of I, th- I think when the music's good and you're dedicated like event stuff will eventually start coming anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't work if we didn't like the songs yeah if and if we didn't enjoy playing them yeah like I, I, there is a difference between I mean we think the songs are very good anyway but like yeah. just actually enjoying playing them is like you know reason enough yeah. and we do even when we do a gig in a pub and no one's listening it's still yeah. we have fun like we think to ourselves well we're yeah. still playing a song that we and we like playing a song <laughs> fun time. like even if it's just to ourselves <laughs> yeah we still enjoy it so um and that's, and that's the that's the fundamental drive i suppose yeah. that's always going to be there and it's always going to keep us playing yeah um that's perfect i've, I've asked everything i had to ask uh, is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap up or oh um listen to the music yeah. <laughs> oh yes Listen, please. <laughs> yes we're literally on everything under hum the band at yeah. the moment yeah. um I, I believe apart from spotify which is obviously hum hum yeah two m's with two m's yeah <laughs> don't forget the second m <laughs> perfect uh, thanks very much for your time guys i really enjoyed thank this you. and uh, oh, thank you yeah, yeah. Thank you so much thank you of course <laughs> and thanks very much guys i'll, I'll see you next time yeah, yeah see, see you, you. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye. Take care.
Thank you for listening to that episode of postburnout.com interviews. We hope you enjoyed and stay tuned for more.